We're going to be reading verses 18 through 26. Again, Philippians 1, 18 through 26. You know that <clears throat> Paul keeps talking in Philippians about how he has so much joy, about how he's rejoicing. And the question that I think we most find confusing uh, is probably just the question of how can Paul have so much joy? How can he rejoice when it could be that he's about to die? He's in jail, he's in prison, uh, and he doesn't know what the outcome is going to be. Is he going to live or is he going to die? Is he going to be executed or is he going to be released? Or is he just going to be held for a lot longer in prison? Remember what I have been pointing out that I reminded you of last week, that Paul has one goal. And because he has that one goal, he sees that goal as how he's going to evaluate his life, how he's going to evaluate the outcome. And if that one goal is going to be fulfilled, then the outcome is something that he can rejoice in. It's, it's really simple, except for how in the world do you make your one goal be something other than I want to live and be happy. I want to enjoy life. I think that's where, Paul, we see the greatest difference between us and him much of the time. Our one goal is, like I used to pray daily, Lord, let us have a good time, or let us have fun. Well, let's see how Paul faces the prospect of his death with not just equanimity, but with rejoicing. As we read this, Philippians 1, 18-26. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Remember, he's just gotten done saying some people are preaching for bad reasons, some people are preaching for good reasons, and he doesn't care. He says, what then? Verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh 
is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Remember that the Philippian church has a special relationship with Paul, even among the churches that he planted, and that they are supporting him at this time. So he's writing to them in a time of imprisonment for himself and probably of great fears and doubts and uh, concerns on their part for him. And so he writes to them, and you see even in what we just read this morning, this relationship and what it means to the two of them and how they ought to interpret it being central to this letter. Um, So that verse 26, he's speaking of the proud confidence that they have in him. The proud confidence that they have in him. That's very personal, isn't it? we can easily forget how, how tender, how personal, how intimate some of these letters are. But when you get to a verse like that, and Paul is helping them to process his own imprisonment, their support of him, and uh, he's praising them for their confidence in him, and they're supporting him in the work that he's doing when most everybody else has stopped supporting, has stopped associating with him. Some are even seeking, because of his imprisonment, people who claim the name of Christ, people who are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, are seeking to make him suffer in their very preaching. So that's the, the worlds apart that we see from the Philippian church and some of the other people, and he's just gotten done talking about those people and saying, look, I don't care what they do as long as they keep preaching Jesus Christ, because that's my one goal. And then he brings it back to the Philippian church, and he says, and that's why you have confidence in me. So he's he's connecting them back to that same Goal. He's connecting them back to the fact that they have confidence in him. And it's precisely for that reason. It's because he, while he's in jail, he keeps preaching the gospel. And he doesn't get bitter at the other people that are sinning. And he, and he doesn't have any qualms calling them sinners either. But he... But he brings it back to the Philippians and says, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus 
through my coming to you again. So his hope is that the work that they have done in supporting him will not only be, at the end, a work that is supporting him through to his death, but that they'll have the joy of being able to praise God for his deliverance back to them. And it seems that he, he's pretty sure that'll happen. But there's no indication here that he's received some revelation from God. You know, Paul does receive, uh, he is taken up into the seventh heaven at one point, and, and, and it's, he sees visions and dreams and things that it's not lawful for man to speak of, right? But in this case, he sees life and death. He knows that either one is possible that he could continue living or that he could die. And even though he is able to rejoice in both, after giving it some thought, even though his own desire would be like, you know what, oh boy, if you could take me home, God, that would be great, right? He, after giving it some thought, thinks, You know, I think I probably still have more work to do here, though. It would be nicer for me, but it would be better for you if I stayed, right? Nicer for me to go, but it would mean more fruitful labor for me. Why is that? Well... Because his one goal is constantly to proclaim the gospel, constantly to support the churches. You know how he speaks in another of his letters of how the the suffering that he has gone through for Jesus Christ, he lists out shipwreck and sickness and being stoned and beaten and whipped, and he he lists all the things that he's gone through, right? And then he, at the very end, says, does anybody know what he adds to the list at the very end? On top of the that daily concern that I have for the churches. He counts that as another burden, and it is a burden. It is hard work to have the weight of a church resting on your shoulders. It is hard work to have the weight of a family resting on your shoulders. It is hard work to be responsible. And Paul is responsible for these churches in an earthly sense. He knows that they are Jesus Christ's, right? But he also knows that he has been put on the earth, he has been called by Jesus Christ to be an apostle specifically for this work. And so he bears that burden and he, and he adds it into the column of the heavy, hard things that he has to do for the sake of Jesus Christ. And one of those, 
things doesn't really seem a lot like the others. Getting stoned, beaten, almost left for dead, you know. And also, the heavy weight of the church is on my shoulders. The Philippian church is one of those churches. And so he says, verse 24, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Continuing, he says, convinced of this, convinced that it's more necessary for your sake that I remain, that I, that I stay here in the flesh. I don't pass on into glory quite yet. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. It's sort of confusing. Uh, the way that Paul strings things together sometimes, you know. So here's the progression. He's going from, uh, although I would rather die, I think it'd be better for your sake that I stay. And then he begins to talk about what, what the benefit for them would be in particular. And it's for their progress and joy in the faith. You see? It's so that they would have progress and have joy in the faith. In other words, what would happen if he was taken at this point is that he is concerned they are not quite ready to make that same progress and joy in the faith as Paul dies. He is ready to have joy in that, and he's writing them this letter to, to push them closer to that, that they would be able to have progress and joy in the faith even at the death of their beloved pastor, the Apostle Paul. But he knows they're not there yet, which is part of the reason why he's writing the letter. And he's saying, look, I'm in jail, but I rejoice. Yeah, people are trying to make my, my, my life miserable, but I rejoice. Yeah, I might die too but I rejoice. And I want you to be able to rejoice even in that difficult kind of trial. And plus, he's able to bring out the reality that for him, it would actually be quite a relief to pass into glory, wouldn't it? And yet, in spite of that heavy weight bearing down on him, of the suffering that he's going through, the weight of the churches being on his shoulders, he is not at all speaking in a way as to give up, is he? As a matter of fact, 
he then brings in that, that responsibility that he has, that ongoing work that he feels he must still do for the Philippians, right? Of showing back up at that church. He thinks that's necessary for them. He brings that additional responsibility and weight and he places it on the other side and he says, I'm hard-pressed from both directions. I could get out of all of this misery and sin of this life if I passed on, if God took me now, but I could help you if I stayed. And so he's torn. He's pulled both directions, or, or pressed, I guess he says. You know, he, he's, he's torn, or squished, I guess, if you're pressed. Hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. It is what we look forward to with hope if our faith is in Jesus Christ. It is to be with him in glory. Now today, in a culture that celebrates death, it's important for us to recognize that Paul is not speaking in any way that... uh, glorifies death itself. You understand? Um, Paul is not speaking of his desire to commit suicide, for example. Paul is not speaking of uh, looking for some way out of the responsibilities and burdens of this life. Remember, what's pulling him from the other side is precisely those burdens and responsibilities of this life. That's what's making him want to stay, not what's making him want to leave. The desire that he has to continue helping the Philippians grow in faith, in their ability to have joy, to rejoice with him the same way, that's what's making him want to stay. Now, Granted, that is heavy, that is hard, and all of the suffering that has gone along with that for him is the suffering of this sinful life, living in this fallen world. And that is part of what is better if we depart. That you're no longer living in this sinful fallen world where there is sickness, where there are beatings for Christians, right? So yes, leaving is better. His desire to depart is, to be with Christ is very much better, he says. But today... what we have done as a culture is we have spoken of our bodies as our own, right? My body, myself, my own. 
And what Paul says is that his body is the Lord's. And so it's a totally different paradigm of thinking about life and death than what our culture has given itself to today. If his body is the Lord's, then whatever happens to him in his fleshly body will be used by God to exalt Christ. So let's read that verse again. Verse 20. He's speaking about how uh, he is expecting to be released, to be delivered, because of their prayers and through the provision of the Holy Spirit. He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So Christ will be exalted in his body, whether by life or by death. This is the opposite of the individualistic society that we have today, which is concerned that whether by life or by death, our personal bodily desires are being met that our will is being exalted to the highest point. So this is where you end up with confusing things where people are speaking of uh, the, the importance of being allowed a choice while they are seeking to live and committed to wanting to live for as long as they possibly can, they'll also flip around at the same time and say something like, but nobody else should ever have the ability to make that choice for me but me. The moment that I decide that I don't want to keep living, I ought to have the right to be able to stop living. You you see, what's going on there is not that Christ would be exalted, whether by life or by death, in our bodies but that our own will would be raised up above God's so that we can say, it's my choice whether I live or I die. It's my choice whether I continue working or quit. It's my choice whether I bear this child or not. It's all my choice. It's all my will. It's my body. I will be glorified in it. I will do with it what I want. Because it's mine. And and Paul says, my body isn't mine. My body is the Lord's. And therefore, he can and will do whatever he wants with it. And if that means that he's going to have me die, then he'll be exalted in that. And if that means that he's going to have me live, then he'll be exalted in that. And that's part of why he is able to say that he rejoices. Because remember, if his goal is that people would hear the name of Jesus Christ, 
repent and believe that the gospel would go forth is so clearly what he is desiring throughout this book and what he returns to over and over again. When you see how he says, look, yeah, I'm in prison, but guess what? That meant that all of the Praetorian Guard knows about this guy Jesus now. And also everybody else. I love that that addition, you know. And also everybody else. And so what is that? That is the name of God, the glory of Jesus Christ being declared to the watching world. Paul's life becomes a light. And of course, this is something that we see as a a metaphor that is used in the Bible for Christians to be a light shining in the world, right? And that that light is not to be hidden under a basket or to be salt is another metaphor for that, right? And that that salt is not to be tasteless salt. Have any of you ever run across tasteless salt? I have actually had tasteless salt before, and it was like, you know, in a vacation home where it had been sitting there and getting humid and for years probably, and, oh, here's some salt. What is wrong with this? There's nothing. It's gross. Well, what Paul is committed to is that his life is going to be a light. If he dies, people are going to know about it. The church in Philippi is not the only place that's going to hear that Paul was executed. All of the Praetorian Guard are going to know about it. And they're going to know how he responded ahead of time to that thought. They're going to know how he responded at the time. What they're going to know is that Paul is totally different than how we think of our bodies. He thinks of his body as belonging to the Lord. And so therefore, no matter what God sends his way, he is willing to go into it with joy and exalting the the God that he worships, the one who owns his body. Whereas we... Speaking of the Praetorian Guard, right? You know, we're trying our best always to be in control of our bodies, to make sure that they are bringing us pleasure, not that they are bringing this God glory. What is what is up with this Paul guy? And so it becomes clear that even if he is released, it is not the release for his own sake that gives him this this pleasant thought, right? Again, normal people in jail are thinking only of themselves and what they are or aren't getting. whether it is or isn't miserable to them, and the immediate obvious desire is, I don't want to be executed. I want to get out. 
so that I can have fun in life again, so that I can have freedom and personal autonomy again, so that I can be my own self doing my own thing again, right? But instead, Paul goes, let's see. Okay, I could be executed or I could be free. Which do I want? Not at all the same way of thinking about it, is it? Because even if he's released, he doesn't say, because then, yippity-doo, I get to live. He says, yeah, I think it would be better for me to be released because then I would be able to come to you again and shore up your faith and, and give you joy that you had confidence in me and that you helped me in this. I think that would be good. So for your sake, I want to get out. Who thinks that way? Who thinks that way about jail? Who thinks that way about contrasting execution to getting out? Someone whose body is the Lord's. And so he does a totally different calculus in his head than you and I do in ours. What is this going to give me? What is it going to get me if I go to school? If I get my master's? What is it going to get me if I, uh, if I get married? What is it going to get me if I have kids? What is it? And listen, all these things affect your life. But the question isn't ultimately, what is it going to get you? The question is, how can I glorify God? How can I exalt God in my life? And the answer often is, get married, have children, go to school, live a normal life. The, the things that are normal are often normal because that's the way God made the world. When he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, all of those things require doing those things, right? But you see how utterly different that is from the idea of first worrying about what it's going to get you, whether you want to do it, whether it's going to be fun or not. The funny thing is often that uh, if we're only worried about whether we're getting what we want, we become very fickle. You know what fickle means, kids? No. Anybody know what fickle means? Fickle means you can't make up your mind. You keep changing your mind about what you want. It's like when... uh, when your mom holds up the blue freezy pop and the pink freezy pop, those are my two favorites, right? So it's like, which do you want? Blue. No, pink. No, give me blue. And the moment that you start eating the blue, you're like, I should have gotten pink. Because this isn't quite as good as I wished it would be. I'm not as happy as I want to be right now if I had only gotten pink. That's fickle changing your mind back and forth. And that's what we do when we are only worried about ourselves, our own pleasure, whether we're having fun right now. We raise this thing up like, oh, the, the, the moment that I can finally have this, I'll be happy. 
And of course, it's an idol, and idols never satisfy. All they ever do is make you hungrier, and so you get there, and you're like, I've got it. How come I'm not as happy as I want to be? How come it's not as fun as I wanted it to be, as I assumed it would be? And so no matter what you get, you're unhappy. Whereas Paul, on the flip side, is like, yeah, I'm going to rejoice. And I'm going to rejoice whether I get blue or pink. I'm going to rejoice whether I go to school or don't. I'm going to rejoice whether I get money or don't. And I'm going to rejoice whether I get executed or released. It's all good. Because my body is the Lord's, and so therefore I exalt him no matter what. Because that's the goal. The goal isn't his own pleasure. The goal isn't his own fun. The goal isn't that he would figure out the best, his best life now. Okay? The goal is that Christ would be exalted. Now, a couple of things worth noting. Remember he says that life and death both hold a good outcome for him. Okay, um, For him to live, he says, is Christ. Right? To live is Christ. What does that mean? Well, <clears throat> you can... You can begin to make a little bit of sense of it if that doesn't make sense to you by reading further on where he's talking about their proud confidence in him and where he speaks of his own uh, desire in verse 20 not to be put to shame in anything. <clears throat> so if, if for him to live is Christ... And that means not being put to shame. That means that his life is a life that is obedient to the call of Jesus Christ because that is the only way to not be put to shame. Okay? Or another way of saying it is life is not a gain, life is not a good outcome for him if he gets out of jail and rebels against God. The only reason that life is considered one of the good outcomes is that he is able to continue doing the Lord's will. To live is Christ. To live is to be Christ's representative on earth. It is to be a Christian, or what it used to be pronounced, Christiani, right? Which just means little Christ. So to call yourself a Christian is to, to just take Jesus' name onto yourself and be like, yep, I'm one of those clones. I'm one of those that, that just tries to be like Jesus. And this is, this is really the beauty and simplicity of the WWJD bracelet craze from 20 years ago or whenever it was. Uh, because this is what he means when he says to live is Christ. <laughs> Everything he does while he's alive, 
That's his goal. And his desire is to not be put to shame. If he is put to shame as a follower of Christ, the only two ways that can happen is, number one, if Christ is not real. And he says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, you know, if Christ is, if, if, if the dead are not raised, Christ is not raised. If Christ is not raised, we are of all men most to be pitied. He would be put to shame if all of what he was living for, if this calculus of life, living with his body belonging to the Lord, you understand, if he's living his whole life this way, where he looks at it and he's like, yeah, execution or life, uh, as long as God is exalted, it's good. But if he's living that way and the dead aren't raised, if he's living that way and there is no hope of heaven, if he's living that way and he's making all of these sacrifices, he's obeying, he's, I mean, think of your life. There are many things that you are called to do that you you recognize the command is clear in Scripture, you do it, and then it's hard, it's painful, and what? If it's not true, well then, yeah, what a waste. You, of all men, most to be pitied. That's one way that Paul could be put to shame, if this was not true. That's not at all on his mind, is it? Here in this, he's, there's no doubt whatsoever that his body belongs to the Lord, that there is a hope for him. This is the confidence that he has. The other way for him to be put to shame is for him to make shipwreck of his life. There's another way, which is for the people that he has called into the kingdom to make shipwreck of the faith. That would be a shame for him. And that's part of why he perpetually works writing these letters, leading them, teaching them. He does not want his work to be in vain, right? But really, that's just another side of these two ways that we can be put to shame, that Paul can be put to shame. The one, it's not true. There is no God in heaven. No hell below, you know. Lenin's song is true, then we are of all men most to be pitied. But the other one is, if he gets out of jail and then proceeds to rebel against God, if he gets out of jail and decides he's going to live for himself, then yes, he would be put to shame, and their confidence in him would be misguided, unfounded, and it would cause his life not to be gained, wouldn't it? Now, on the other side of the equation, 
That's the life side. On the other side of the equation is death. And just like if you're not living for Christ, it's not gain as a Christian. So if you're not dying for Christ, it is not gain for the Christian. And this is how we combat the temptations that those who are in despair bring to a passage like this, where they're thinking, you know, I really do want out. I really do want to get away from this life. It would be better just to end it. It is not gain to die that way. Because that is not death in service to Christ. That is death in service to your own selfish desires. That is death in service to that, to that, uh, it is my body mentality. When people despair and think that death would be better, especially if they're Christians, this is one of those places where I think that they are going to turn and, and misquote Scripture to justify themselves, saying, to die is gain. To die is gain. I don't want any of us ever to think that this passage, the way Paul is speaking, can be used that way. And I don't think any of you in here today are in danger of doing that right now. But if this verse ever sneaks up on you and pops into your mind in depression and sorrow and desire to end it all, I want you to remember that that is not the gain Paul is speaking of here. The only gain he sees is the gain of dying in pursuit of that one goal, that the name of Jesus would be glorified. So for Paul to be in prison, to not have any ability to preach out in public, to have other people who are out there preaching, who are trying to make his, him suffer for it, and for him to just give up and be like, you know what, I'm depressed, let's end it would be precisely the opposite in that calculation. It would not be him rejoicing to be one man whose body belongs to the Lord and will exalt the Lord in life or in death. That would be exalting himself and his own desires above God. So here we are with Paul. We want Christ to be exalted in our bodies. How do you use your body to glorify God? Well, you don't use it for impurity. You don't use it for disobedience. You don't use it for anything aside from seeking to exalt Him. 
You say, well, doesn't that make me so heavenly minded? I'm no earthly good. Was Paul no earthly good? His whole point is, you know what? After thinking about it, I think it would be better off for me to stay so that I could help you. Doesn't sound like someone who's no earthly good, does it? When we live for God in this life, we live in a heavenly-minded way, like Paul, which makes us seem very strange to the world when we say things like, yeah, if I die for Christ, that's good. If I live for Christ, that's good too. Probably better because I'd be able to keep talking to you. And I think you need a little bit more work before I'm gone. And that makes us some earthly good, doesn't it? Let's pray.